I'm super excited to connect with you today. I've got a word from the Lord that you desperately need to hear. And not just you, but your family and friends who are struggling through this very difficult season. So listen, as Christine mentioned uh, earlier, you can share today's worship gathering on Facebook or simply share the webpage link. Let's get this message out to everyone that you know that is struggling and suffering through this season. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this moment. And I'm asking you to move supernaturally through this teaching. Move in the lives of those who are listening. Move in my life. Inspire, heal, encourage, empower. Raise up hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you were with us last week, you know that uh, we are continuing to push forward in this series that I have entitled Hope in an Upside Down World. And we spent some time talking about a very courageous moment of transparency in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 1. And we were shocked by that transparency and we were surprised how much it connected with where we are emotionally as we try to live through this difficult time. And if you were with us last weekend, you know that I kind of framed the message around how to survive the basement of despair. And I want to pick up where I left off at last weekend. But if you missed that message, there's some important content uh, to survive in the basement that uh, it's important for you to get. So our website link is here. Make sure that after you hear this message, you pick up the first uh, uh, half of that discussion from last weekend. Now, I'm just going to start where we left off because there's some, there's some more things that you and I can do that we're going to learn from Paul uh, as we seek to survive the basement of despair. But first, let's read again what was so surprising uh, as we think about uh, Paul's transparency in this letter. Here's what he writes. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. He's saying, I understand that. So I really don't know uh, what I'm going to choose, right? He says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ. That's on the one hand, which would be far better for me. But on the other hand, for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. End of the reading. You know what Paul is struggling with here? He's struggling with his emotions. You know, you may recall from last weekend, he's under house arrest in Roman uh, uh, custody. He's been in that context for two and a half years. He's an innocent man that's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier uh, 24-7. And every six hours they change shifts, but he's always chained to a soldier. He's uncertain about his future because even though he's innocent, there's still a possibility that the state will find him <clears throat> guilty of a, of a crime against the state and put him to death. This is Paul. 
And he's just finished writing just the verse before how he's dedicated to making sure that as he lives his life, that he will live his life to honor Christ, whether it be in life or in death. And it was almost as though he says, speaking of death, and he begins to kind of uh, expose what's really going on beneath the surface for him. He says, look, I'm really kind of torn. On the one hand, I kind of want to get up and get out of here. On the other hand, maybe I need to stay because perhaps you need me. He's wrestling with his emotions, just like you, just like I am, as we live through this incredibly difficult time. And more often than not, we're wrestling with a variety of emotions all at the same time, whether it be grief or anger or trauma. But the one thing that all of us probably hold in common at this moment is this right here, overwhelmed. Can you type overwhelmed in the chat? He just say overwhelmed. Now this is kind of where we left off last week. And let me just remind you. One of the challenges that comes with being overwhelmed over a series of days and weeks and even months is that we're tempted to quit. We're tempted to quit in all kinds of ways. We're tempted to quit life itself. It's part of what Paul meant when he says, look, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just call it a day and go live with Christ. In other words, jump off the planet, go be with Jesus. That's far better. Some of us are not tempted to quit in terms of exiting this life, but we're, we're tempted to quit living in this life, meaning we don't strive, we're not struggling to move forward, that we've given up on being productive and we've given up on uh, uh, being, uh, you know, accountable because we essentially say, what's the use? And then some of us have just given up on dreaming altogether, right? We're not dreaming about the future. We're not imagining tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. We're just like, forget it. Life is just bad. It's going from bad to worse. And you've just given up. You've surrendered. Here's God's word to you today. Don't quit. He just said it out loud. Don't quit. Type it in the chat. Don't quit. Now, when you're overwhelmed and you're tempted to quit, you tend to wake up in the basement of despair. If you were with us last weekend, you know that I talked about uh, a, a member of a former church I pastored back in Boston, Roxbury Presbyterian Church, 27 years roughly ago. As a young pastor in the early months of my uh, tenure there, uh, Jackie, uh, that's what I'm going to call it. It's not a real name. That's the name I'm going to give her. Uh, was struggling with her daughter who had gotten strung out on drugs and it went from bad to worse to worse. Ultimately, Jackie concluded she was just too overwhelmed with a sense of failure and hopelessness. She went down the stairs in the basement of where she lived and she was about to take her life. What she didn't know is that a week earlier, a dear friend of hers who was an elder on my board had talked to me about reaching out to her and had given me Jackie's number. And so now, a week later, at my desk, I come across that number and decide to give her a call. It's right in the very moment where she says that she told God, either you disrupt what I'm about to do or I'm out of here. And the phone started to ring. Ultimately, she went up the stairs and answered the phone and I was on the other line saying, 
Jackie, this is Pastor Herman from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. I'm called to tell you that God loves you. And I want to check her and see how we can be helpful. Can you say miracle? Can you say a supernatural move of God? That's what she really experienced. And her eyes came open. And in that very moment, Jackie felt as though uh, she was seen by God. Can you write in the chat, God sees me. Can you just say out loud, God sees me. In that moment, oh, how loved Jackie felt by God. Can you write in the chat, I'm loved by God. Can you just say out loud, God cares about what's happening to my life. God cares about you. God cares about me. And so part of surviving the, the, the basement of despair is to recognize, A, you're not alone. And B, God is in the basement with you. He sees you. He loves you. And he cares about what's going on in your life. He has not forgotten you. You are not alone. Can you just say, I'm not alone? You know, here's a surprise. All of us show up in that basement of despair from time to time. Last week, I was reading about the shooting of Mr. Jake, Jacob Blake seven times in the back by a police officer with his kids in the car. Mr. Blake was unarmed. The assumption is they thought he was reaching for a gun. Kept reading about the next night or the night after during the protest, this young man, his name is Kyle, he's 17 years old, he's walking the street with a gun. He actually killed on this night two people with the gun. He walked up to the police and ultimately they arrested him. Now the difference in these two stories, if you're African Americans, is obvious. That for the first story, Mr. Mr. Jacob, the police shot first and thought later. In this story, Mr. Kyle, they thought first and ended up not having to shoot. The juxtaposition is painful. And then I kept reading and I read about Mr. Jacob's mom who came out and told the crowd, cut out the violence, protest, but do it peacefully. Violence didn't honor her son. And then she's found praying for police officers with her son in the hospital, paralyzed from the waist down, handcuffed to the bed. She's praying for police officers. That remarkable display of the love of Jesus flowing through her pain-riddled life, coupled with the juxtaposition, facilitated my weeping. I just started to weep, guys. Sitting there on the bed by myself, I just started to weep. And as I wept, I realized I was in really good company. I realized that Jesus wept at the news of Lazarus' death, that uh, Jeremiah the prophet was known as the weeping prophet as he wept over the fall of Jerusalem. That the Jews who were driven out of Israel into exile in Babylon, and Psalms 137 opens up with them saying, as we sat by the rivers of Babylon, we wept as we thought about Jerusalem. I was in good company weeping over the brokenness of life. I just want to let you know that it's okay for you to weep. It's okay for you to weep alone, but it's even better for you to weep with others. Now, I've been married for 34 years, and I can just tell you that during that period of time, Rhonda and I have lived through some experiences 
where we've had to weep together. And here's what I've learned as a man who's learned how to weep out loud and weep with others. Here's what, as a pastor who has wept with others, that when we weep together, we find strength. So I want to challenge you. Allow yourself to weep over the brokenness and the challenge of the world around you. But also, be vulnerable and courageous enough to weep with others. Now, if you say, well, I don't have anybody else I can weep with. I'm just isolated by myself. Listen, uh, there's a connection card that you're going to see at the end of this message. And you can just check. I, I want, a, a, we call them life group. I want to be a part of a life group. And we'll reach out to you and make you a part of a small Christian community that you can interact with uh, virtually. And they will, they, will, they will journey with you through life, pray with you, pray for you, and weep with you. You are not alone. The second thing that Paul shows us through writing this uh, by, by being so courageously transparent in this public letter, he shows us that it's okay to tell somebody how you honestly feel. Look what Paul writes again. He's writing this in a public letter. Look at verse 31. I just want to, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just want to move through it real quickly. He says, look, uh, for me, living means living for Christ, but dying is even better. And he goes on to say, now listen, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm torn between two desires. He's writing this in a public letter, guys. Uh, he says, look, I long to go and be with Christ. I just want to kind of get up and get out of here. He's writing this in a public letter. You know what's going to happen to this public letter? It's going to go in the hands of one of his disciples who's going to take it, transport it, to the Roman colony of Philippi. And there the Christians in that colony, they're being persecuted day in and day out. They have people who loved ones are being put in jail for their faith. Other loved ones are being murdered and killed. Others are being harassed. They don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Does this sound familiar to you? They're living under the strain and the stress of a world turned upside down. And someone, some carrier is going to bring this letter and, and the Christian community is going to meet in some house because that's how they used to do it back then. They would, small groups would meet in homes. And rather than having a sermon or a message taught like what I'm teaching here, someone will stand up and they're going to read Paul's letter to that crowd. And can you imagine when they get to this point, when they hear Paul says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ. It would be so much better. But on the other hand, you know, you guys need me to stay here for your sake. I can imagine people through the crowd starting to whisper and say, wow, that's exactly how I feel. That's how I feel. And in their own way, they begin to give thanks for Paul, who had enough courage to say how they were feeling, but they were afraid to say it out loud. They were afraid to tell anyone because they thought somebody would question their faith or someone would call them weak. Thanks be to God for Paul, who teaches us that if you're going to survive the basement, you've got to learn how to start telling people how you honestly feel. Do you know it was Jackie telling somebody how she honestly felt that actually saved her life, that opened the door for that supernatural miracle to happen? See, a week earlier, she had told her friend, 
that she was at the end of her rope. It was so alarming, that's why her friend reached out to me and said, Pastor, would you give her a call? That set in motion the miracle that saved her life. You're making a decision to tell people how you feel could in fact save your life, but it also could in fact save their lives. It could set up and open the door to a miracle for them. Tell somebody. You know, the last implication of Paul being honest about his feelings in a public letter is that when it was read to the believing community in Philippi, he ultimately was giving them permission, essentially saying, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. So let me just do what Paul did for them. Let me just do it for you. I'm just giving you permission to not be okay. As a matter of fact, I want to suggest to you that you shouldn't be okay. I mean, look, you've got the face to challenge of trying to deal with kids who are learning, being educated at home while you're trying to get your work done. The Wi-Fi is breaking down on you. The stress level is going up. I mean, you shouldn't be okay. I mean, you've got to figure out how to teach a bunch of first graders through a computer screen. For the first time in your life, for half of a day, of course you're not okay. You're part of the 30 million people in America that's been unemployed. And you're full of uncertainty about tomorrow. You're shook up by the stuff that you're watching around racial justice. I mean, of course you're not okay. And I'm here to tell you, it's okay not to be okay. And by the way, I want you to know, come on now, God's not okay either. He's not okay with the hatred that's in this world. He's not okay with the, with the toxicity that is in this world, with the division that is in this world, with the, with, with the bigotry and all of the stuff that we're dealing with, the injustice that's in this world. God is not okay. He wouldn't want you to be comfortable with this brokenness. It's okay not to be okay. Yet, while I'm teaching you in this moment that surviving the basement has a lot to do with your being able to express your feelings through weeping and express your feelings by telling others honestly how you feel and to to be okay with not being okay as it relates to your feelings of anger and anxiety and grief and trauma and all the stuff that piles up for you. I'm also telling you to be aware of a seduction. Recognize the seduction. You see, Jackie was in the basement about to take her life. The stairway out of the basement was not impeded. It was clear. She could have gone up those stairs. The door out of that basement was unlocked. She could have exited any time. But because of the seduction that I want to talk about, she felt trapped in a basement with an unlocked door. Could that be you? Type in the chat, seduction. What seduction, you ask? Well, while it's okay to be aware of your feelings and talk and express your feelings, be careful that your feelings do not seduce you in such a way that you become lost 
within them. I talk about it in terms of being consumed by the all-consuming I or the all-consuming me. That you lose sight of the rest of the world. That your world is totally constructed simply of you and your feelings. Look, Paul in his remarkable transparency, in a sense, models this for us. We see that seduction trying to creep into Paul's life. And let's look at how, and look at the eyes and the me's that shows up here for to Me, he talks about living for Christ and dying is even better. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work. And then, but I really don't know. I'm in this wrestling match. And, and he goes on to talk about, I'm torn between two desires. And I and me. And at some point, if you're not careful, you'll get lost in the toxicity of your own feelings. And be seduced by the all-consuming I and me. Let me illustrate it. Watch this. Listen. All of us are in that basement of despair at some point. But we, 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 we exit, right? And then every now and then life will throw us back down, but we exit. The reason we exit is this diagram. Look, all of us wake up. If you're living in this life now, you got all kinds of confusing emotions, trauma and all this stuff. But you're still aware of the needs of others. And you're still aware of the presence and the power of God. And it's the awareness of God and the awareness of the needs of others that allows us to get up out of bed, to get up out of our seats, to keep going up those stairs, and to keep finding a reason to live. But if you're not careful, if you're just focused on your anger, just focused on your anxiety, just focused on your trauma, that, 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 that this slide becomes a reality. Put this slide up. Watch this. That suddenly this begins to grow and an eclipse your awareness of others, and it ultimately eclipses the awareness of God. And one day you wake up, and you're simply lost in you, in your feelings. That's a dangerous place to be. That's when you start talking about me, you're using the I language. No one sees me. No one cares for me. No one loves me. No, it doesn't matter to anyone if I'm here, if I'm gone, if I live, if I die. I'm a failure. What, what's the use? It's you're the victim. You're the problem. You're the source of trouble. You're the recipient of trouble. It's, but it's... You get lost in the toxicity of you. There's an antidote. Can you shout antidote? Come on, type in the chat. Antidote. Good news. There's an antidote. What is it? Faith. Come on, shout faith. Faith, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Faith. 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 You know, that's what exploded in Jackie. When she got up those stairs, she answered the phone and she heard this pastor that she had never met from this church that she had never been to call and tell her at the very moment that she says, God, you need to disrupt or I'm taking my life. Call and tell her at that very moment that God loves you. Faith exploded in her life. 
Suddenly she realized that she was not just a collection of chromosomes aimlessly moving around on a planet with no purpose, no meaning. Faith, I tell you, suddenly she realized that, that, the, that, that it was more than just her story, right? That her life was a part of or could be a part of more than just her story. That her story was a part, whether she realized it or not, of a greater story, a greater narrative under the direction of God, the creator of the universe, who showed up in the one called Jesus, who Paul calls Christ. And suddenly she realized, he sees me. He cares. Guess what? My story is a part of a greater narrative can you say faith faith her eyes came open it's faith that Paul is talking about it's faith doesn't have to be tons of faith it's just a little faith mustard seed of faith will keep you connected to God and to his power released in your life and to his work that's in the world faith keeps you connected to God that keeps you breathing. It, it, it keeps you living. Faith connected to God. Watch how Paul illustrates this in the verse that he talks about. You see, his faith, here it is. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ. That's the word for Messiah. That's the word for the deliverer. That's, that's the word that is attached to the title of Jesus. And here's what you need to know about Paul who's writing this. He later says, if I live, I can do more fruitful work for this Christ, this one who uh, is Jesus. Well, here's what you need to know. Early on, Paul uh, was a Jewish believer who did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He knew he was crucified. And people were going around talking about he'd been raised from the dead. And that he was, uh, that he was not just raised, but in him was the true and living God. And so he was killing Jesus' followers. One day he ran into the reality of this Jesus, knocked him on his face. He got up and that Jesus says, I have need for you, Paul. I have called you to do the work of the kingdom. And Paul went from being a murderer of Jesus' followers to becoming a Jesus follower, building the church throughout Asia Minor and much of what we know as the New Testament he gives to us and much of what we've experienced as a church uh, over the centuries, he laid the foundation because he heard Jesus say, I have need for you. Now, in this moment, Janice heard a similar message. She came out of the basement. She talked to me. She ended up showing up at the church. She surrendered her life to this God who showed up in Jesus, this redemptive God, this God who makes all things new. And she heard him say, I have need for you. Entrust your daughter into my hands. You can't control the uncontrollable. Uh, uh, spend time, yes, pray for her. But I have need for you. She went from the basement to joining the church, to showing up on Sunday, to participating in Bible study, internalizing a new worldview of what it meant to be one who was serving a Jesus who said, I have need for you. 
And ultimately, she became the trustee, one of the trustees of the church, serving Jesus, the kingdom, and the world. Now, inside this motion movement, she had to shift her paradigm. A few weeks ago, I asked you if you recall, if you've been following this series, is God your instrument or are you God's instrument? And oftentimes, I told you uh, that we... God is our instrument. And I don't say this in a judgmental way. God meets us where we are. I want to give you an image. Many of us, at some point in our lives, we treat God as though God is a vending machine. And he's full of all kinds of miracles and blessings, etc., etc. And for us, the only point of prayer is to put a coin into the vending machine so we can get out the blessing of the miracle that we want. The, you know, and God meets us where we are. That, that's, he's okay with starting a relationship there. But let me just tell you, at some point... This kind of paradigm with God is going to break down. Because you're going to pray a prayer and God's not going to answer that prayer because the larger narrative requires that God not answer the prayer the way you want him to answer it. And you're going to treat God like you do the vending machine. Shake the vending machine, press the button, and after a while, you want to walk away. That's one paradigm. The other paradigm is really captured by how Paul talks about Jesus in verse 19 of this same letter. He says, for I know that as you, he's talking about the folk he's writing to, as you pray for me. By the way, we need to be praying one for another. Watch this. And the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. This will lead ultimately to my deliverance. Notice the framing, the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. That spirit embodies me and empowers me. So one paradigm is to simply see God as a vending machine from which you try to get your blessings. And when he doesn't do what you want him to do, you kick the machine and leave. The other paradigm is to recognize that the God who showed up in Jesus, conquered death, and rose from the dead is now a living spirit looking for a life to inhabit. And what Jackie heard that God say to her is, I have need of you. I, that I want my spirit to fill your life, the spirit of Jesus Christ, because I need hands to work in this broken world. I need feet to run in this broken world. I need minds to be creative and imaginative, to dream in this broken, toxic world. I need to inhabit your life so that somewhere in this darkness, you know the light you're looking for? I want to shine it through you. I have need of you. So it's your faith that connects you to a God that says, get out of that bed. I have need of you. Get off that chair. I have need of you. Come on. It's your faith that connects you to a God that says, get out of that basement. I have need of you. Pray about all the stuff you can't control, but focus on what you can, the difference you can make. And lastly, lastly, your faith should also connect you to the needs of people. Look at how Paul talks about this, uh, in, this in his text. He says, listen, I want to die. I want to go be with Christ in eternity. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced I've made my decision that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you to grow 
in the experience and the joy of your faith. In other words, Paul was saying, not only does God have need of me, the people I love, they have need of me. And I want to say to some grandfather who's saying, what's the use? I want to say the use is you've got some grandkids who have need of you. I, I want to say to some parent who has allowed him or herself to become so seduced, you're, you're thinking about calling it quits, that there's some kids who have need of you. There's some adult parents who have need of you. There's a community who have need for your gifts and for your service. And for Jackie, you know what happened to her? She went back and she, she ran the, one of the most successful community centers in her city that served marginalized kids because God had need for her, but those kids had need for her. And while she couldn't fix her broken daughter, she could make a difference in the lives of marginalized families. But she kept praying for that daughter. She kept praying for that daughter. She kept praying for that daughter. And two years later, God broke the spirit of addiction in her daughter's life. And Jackie lived long enough to see her daughter turn all the way around. And 27 years later, her daughter is still doing amazing things. Free from drugs, changing and making a difference in the world. Wow. See what I'm telling you? A lot of this stuff we do, you can't control. Pray about that. Let the Spirit of Jesus pray through you. But what you can't impact, get on up out of that basement and go make a difference. Amen and amen. Now, there's a connection card. We're going to actually put a, uh, an amplified version on the screen. Because for somebody, you need somebody to pray with you right now. Or maybe later this week, you don't want somebody to pray with you. Look, there's a place that if you check and say, I want somebody to pray with me. Don't, I don't just want to submit a prayer request. I want somebody to call me and pray with me. We'll do it. We'll call you. Some of the rest of you, you're listening. You say, man, I've been listening, but I need to connect. I need one of those virtual small groups of believers that I can talk to that will pray with me and cry with me and weep with me. There's a place highlighted for you to connect with small groups. And some of you, 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 you want to be like that. You say, look, it's time for me to get out of the basement and get busy serving in the kingdom of God, in the church, as well as in the world. Is there a place that I can serve even now? The answer is yes. So that's highlighted on the connection card. Get up and start serving. This being connected to God and being connected to the needs of others through faith is your antidote that protects you against the seduction of the toxic side of your feelings. Give it a try. Lastly, I'm going to challenge you. Uh, some of you, it may be so thick and so dark for you that none of these options work. That what you need to do is call this number that's on the screen. There's a professional on the other side that will begin to help you find your way through the darkness. Because you've already got a plan. You've been thinking about how to take your life and all that stuff. You call this number. This is your miracle moment. Because God has need for you. There are people in your life that you are etched in their hearts. And despite all of the times you've told yourself nobody needs you, they need you. Call this number. 
Finally, I want to challenge you guys to respond to this message. There's a whole list of other responses on the connection call. You ought to pay attention to them. But I want you to, I want you to, I want you to make this decision. I want you to decide today. I don't care how bad it's going to get in the future. That if there's but one place upon the planet where the light of God shines, may it be through your life. If you're willing to make that commitment, I want you to say, I choose to live, serve, and love. Check that right now. Make that decision now. And let us know you checked it. I can't wait to see you next week. In the meantime, notice the transition. You do this, you move from looking from hope for hope to becoming an instrument of hope as the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you. Listen, you may not know this, but after our 12 noon gatherings every Sunday, you can access our worship gatherings. This worship gathering you just uh, experienced online at our website 24-7. So if in a few days you find yourself back in that basement of despair, you need some inspiration that comes through uh, worship time or through the message, access this gathering. Secondly, if you want to know whenever we go live, make sure you push the notification button that is available. And lastly, think deeply about this question. Reflect on it. What step can you take towards serving God and others? Take a picture of this so you can reflect on it.